We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Message and data. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains the importance of balance. The blessing of wisdom. We've looked at the balance of wisdom, the bulwark of wisdom, now the blessing of wisdom. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. That's the blessing of wisdom. If I may put it like this, when Jesus is in the heart, Jesus will be on the face. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Who wouldn't want the blessing of wisdom? But sometimes we misunderstand wisdom for the omnipotence only God possesses. Today, Philip explains that we've been given God's Word to guide us in our day-to-day, but we're never given a crystal ball to see into the future. Instead, we're called to shine God's truth and grace into the present moment. Philip is closing out his Quest for the Best series with some final words of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've already looked at verses 15 through 18 under the general thought of the balance of wisdom. Wisdom helps us find our feet. Wisdom warns us in the light of life's injuries and injustices not to overreact and become legalistic in righteousness, not to overreact and think God has gone soft on sin and therefore He's going to turn a blind eye to your next act of disobedience. Wisdom warns us indeed to um, not fall into either of those traps. We then started to look at what we called the bulwark of wisdom, verses 19 through 29. Through chapter 7, King Solomon, the teacher and preacher, touts the priceless value and attendant benefits of wisdom. He tells us in verse 19 that wisdom strengthens the wise. Wisdom fortifies us against the hammer blows of life. It gives us power to overcome adversity and to navigate mystery. You see, information is about facts, but wisdom is about fitting those facts together in relationship to God's precepts and God's providence. It's knowing what to do, how to do it, when to do it, according to how God would want it done. And so Solomon here extols the benefits of wisdom. And we started to work our way through these verses, 19 through 29, and Solomon brings wisdom to bear upon a number of issues. We looked last week at the malice of gossip. When it comes to gossip, when it comes to people talking about you or about me, it it happens, you've done it yourself, and at the end of the day, it's a small thing. Secondly, wisdom tells us to be careful 
when it comes to the mystery of life. Verses 23 through 25 in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Solomon uh, has sought to understand life, but he tells us, hey, it's far from me. Verse 23, all this I have proved by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it's far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? He's been on a search, and he's been seeking out wisdom and the reason of things. But there are many questions that have been left unanswered. He tells us here in verse 27 and 28, here's what I found, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find the mystery of life. Wisdom empowers us, doesn't it? It strengthens us makes us wise, but while it strengthens us, it doesn't make us omnipotent. Wisdom has its limitations. It can only take us so far in the realm of what there is to know. And so Solomon is saying here, despite even God-given wisdom, a decisive and comprehensive knowledge of things remains elusive. And so you and I need to embrace this thought that we don't know it all. And you know what? If you step back from that, there's a blessing in that. I wrote a couple of things. It's good that we do not know it all, for that keeps us humble, keeps us dependent upon God, keeps us looking heavenward, keeps us searching the book, keeps us praying to the Holy Spirit, because we don't know it all. Knowledge lies somewhere beyond us. In fact, it's good that we don't know it all because it makes us kinder towards others. Not knowing the whole story of a person's life should make us very slow to judge another person's actions. All right? Tell you another benefit of not knowing it all. It causes you to live one day at a time. And that's the way we're meant to live anyway. Life by the inch is a cinch. Life by the yard is hard. And Jesus told us in Matthew 6, Verse 34, to live one day at a time. Imagine God showed you the future, all right? He showed you the next five years. Would that make you sleep a bit better tonight? And we can hardly handle two days, let alone five years. There's a blessing in not knowing what's behind the curtain or over the hill or beyond the wall. I think there's another benefit to not knowing it all. It, it causes you to trust the one who does know it all. Romans 8, 26, when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. What a blessing. We covered that in our series on the Holy Spirit. But we often forget that's the context of Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 26, we don't know. But then Paul says, but we know that all things work together for good. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know why God allows this and allows that, why the righteous die in their righteousness and the wicked live in their wickedness. But we know that all things work together for good. We trust the Lord in all of that. And then finally, it sweetens the thought of heaven, doesn't it? When you live in the shadowlands, to borrow C.S. Lewis's picture, you long to see God face to face. We know in part, but then face to face. The question marks will be straightened out into exclamation marks. God will tell us why he did this and why he allowed that. C.S. Lewis said some of our first words in heaven will be, of course. That's true. And until then, we'll trust the one who knows it all. 
Until then, we'll be humble and dependent. Until then, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. Until then, we'll try and be as kind in our judgments and as weighty in our answers and thoughtful in our responses. Wisdom tells us something about the malice of gossip. Wisdom tells us something about the mystery of life. And wisdom tells us something about the menace of sin. Quickly, verses 20 and then 26 through 29. According to our text, there's not a just man on the earth. That's verse 20. For there's not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Paul will quote this in Romans 3 to underwrite the doctrine of total depravity, the fall of man into sin. Man is not a moral being on on an upward track. Man is flat on his face morally. He's fallen. He's corrupt. He's depraved. He doesn't do what he ought to do, and he does what he ought not to do. And that's why the world's all messed up. That's why life under the sun at times is frustrating because there are all sorts of traps all sorts of temptations. Solomon talks about women here whose heart is a snare. He may be referring back to Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 19, and Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, where he talks about the seductress, the immoral woman, the temptress. More than likely, but he's just speaking out of his own experience. It's interesting that he talks about the fact here in verse 28 that he can't find a faithful woman among a thousand. Well, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, he's got 300 wives and 700 concubines. I wonder if he's speaking out of his own experience. I don't think he's saying in broad brushes that, you know what, you'll find an odd faithful man and no faithful woman. He's just speaking, hey, there's traps. You face the menace of sin. We know from 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 6, that his wives and his concubines turn his heart away from the Lord. The world is full of wickedness. Why? Why? Why do we have murder? Why do we have rape? Why do we have thievery and robbery and embezzlement? Why do children not obey their parents? Why do we have corrupt governments that feed off the poor and the disadvantaged? Warlords. While man doesn't know as much as God, he thinks he knows. And he acts independently and willfully apart from God. And that's why the world is upside down. For there is not a just man on the earth who does good, does not sin. And according to verse 29, truly this only I have found that God made man upright and they have sought out many schemes. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's a bit of a contrast with verse 15 where we wrote, what God has made crooked no man can make straight. But it's interestingly, man has managed to bend what God had made upright. I think this is a, an allusion back to the creation narrative of Genesis 1 through 3. Man was made perfect. Man was made upright, morally strong, morally pure, in a relationship with God. Everything was heaven on earth until man became wise in his own eyes. And he stopped reading God's script, and he wrote his own story. He came up with his own schemes. According to verse 29, and that landed us in a world of trouble. Instead of living the one life that God had prescribed for our eternal joy, humans in their rebellion sought out multiple alternatives. They have and they do continue to write their own story. And it always has a disastrous last chapter. For there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. 
That's Solomon's point. You know what's wrong with the world? You are. And you need fixed. You were once upright, but you have fallen short of God's glory, and now the fix is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is upright, morally pure, who died in your place and gave his life for you. A correspondent to the London Times quite a while back was researching and reporting on the many problems that society faced then. And in the article, he ended with this statement, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote a famous reply on that day. He wrote a letter, and it said, quote, Dear editor, what's wrong with the world? I am faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. That is what's wrong with the world. We are. But God didn't give us up. Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, that we might be made straight again, upright again, through His righteousness, through His death, through His love displayed on the cross. Let me get to this last thought. We're done here. We're going to spill over into chapter 8 and verse 1. The blessing of wisdom. We've looked at the balance of wisdom, the bulwark of wisdom, now the blessing of wisdom. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. That's the blessing of wisdom. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, verse 11. Wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense, verse 12 of chapter 7. Wisdom strengthens the wise, verse 19. And wisdom brightens the face, chapter 8 and verse 1. A life that's lived in the fear of God and faith toward God through Jesus Christ is a life that has been brightened by God's wisdom. Walter Kaiser notes, quote, it can dispel the gloom, speaking of wisdom, and brightens man's otherwise hard looks. See, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's menaced by sin and messed up by sinners. There's a lot of sadness and injustice in this world. But hold on a minute. As we look out on this world, you've got these people and they've got bright faces. They've got radiant lives. Who are these people that are bucking the trend? These are the people who have enjoyed God's wisdom. These are the people who have been given an insight on life. They know who God is. They know who they are. They know what they can become through faith in Jesus Christ. They know a lot of things, and it helps them have a brighter outlook on life. We could make a lot of this, or we could make a, a little of this. Given the time, we'll just make a, a little of this. It's, the point is wisdom and knowledge of God through wisdom allows us to enjoy something of God's favor. Numbers 6 verse 25 says, the ironic benediction, Lord, make your face to shine upon us. When his face shines in us, our faces shine. Psalm 34 verse 5 says what? And they looked to him and they were made radiant. My friend, when you know God, it should make a difference in your life. It should change your outlook because it gives you a different perspective. Life takes on a different complexion. And I think that should register on our faces. It should make a difference in our lives. Moses met God and his face shone, Exodus 34, verse 29. 
It was said of Stephen in Acts 6, verse 15, that he had the face of an angel. I don't want to make too much of this. I don't think the whole point of this is just that you and I go around with some kind of happy face all day long. But the point is that sometimes there should be a lot more happiness, a lot more brightness about us than there, there is at times. Because you see, we're well informed. We're well instructed. We know how the story ends. We know we're loved. We know we're kept. We've got a a sufficient record of life and how it ought to be lived. We know that God loves us in Jesus Christ. We know we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We know that we have great and exceeding promises. When you know all of that, when you have wisdom centered upon Jesus Christ, because that's the focus of the New Testament, in Him is treasured up all the wisdom of God. When you know God through Jesus Christ, it will take away that stern look. It will take away that sad disposition. It will remove that unhappiness and it will bring a brightness and a gaiety and a joy to your life. If I may put it like this, when Jesus is in the heart, Jesus will be on the face. What about that for a thought? I mean, let me have a look. <laughs> when Jesus is in the heart, Jesus will be on the face. Wisdom brings a shine to a man's face and a joy to a man's life. As I thought about that, I thought about one guy. I thought about a man by the name of Ivan Thompson. Got to know Ivan as an evangelist and then got to know him as my pastor. Ivan was a character. He had a wonderful testimony. He came to faith in Jesus Christ by going to a worship service against his own will. His wife was always bugging him to go to the evening service at Abbott's Cross Congregational Church in Belfast. And one night he kind of caved in, but what he did was he changed the clocks by about 15 minutes so that they would arrive late. And he would have an excuse not to go in. And he did arrive late about 10 minutes after the service had begun. And he looked kind of through the the doors that were kind of hanging open, saw the place was full, said, look, I don't want to go in there. Let's go home. And before he had finished his sentence, an usher was doing his job, grabbed him by the hand and trailed him right down the middle of the aisle to the front row of that service. He heard the gospel was wonderfully saved. And I want to tell you something about Evan Thompson. He died of a brain tumor just about two years ago. He never got over it. By day, he delivered office furniture and carpets and stuff. But by night, he was an evangelist and a very effective evangelist. He spoke the people's language. He, he had a heart for the lost. He had a great gift of communication and humor. In fact, when you would go with him to one of his meetings, he would pick you up in the truck. There was only room for two people up in the cab, so you went into the back with all the, the, the other seats and all the desks and all the carpets. And, and you know, he, sometimes he didn't have that thing tied down as well, and you're, you know, going from one wall of the, tr- of the truck to the other until you got there. In fact, I even give me my break in ministry. First Sunday morning service I ever preached that was at Tandragee Baptist Church. He was meant to speak there, but he came down sick, and he said, Philip, would you take it? God used him. For a time, he became a pastor. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure that was a good fit for him because it was a settled ministry. Ivan was a real evangelist at heart. He loved to to preach heaven and hell. He loved to preach the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ. He he loved to rejoice in the, the joy of sins forgiven. But working with chronic complainers in the church just wasn't his thing. And he didn't suffer them too well. 
I, I know of one story where at the end of an evening service in his church, a man came up who he knew had something on his mind that he should have kept there, but he wanted to share it with his pastor. And so Ivan ushered him into a room, closed the door, and then he said to the deacon, in about 15 minutes, let him out and tell him I've gone home. <laughs> Left the guy just sitting in the room for 15 minutes, and he headed home. He said, I'm not, he didn't want anything to do with that stuff. There was another time he went into a um, service and was met by these two ushers that were like cardboard cutouts and like, like dummies at a, a Madame Toussaint's, you know, museum. And he, he looked at them and he thought they were such a bad advertisement for the gospel. He said, you know what, brother, would you lend me your face for Halloween? <laughs> Rough? Yes. Rude? Crude? You could make an argument. But you see, for Ivan, he just doesn't, he couldn't understand unhappy Christians. He couldn't understand complaining in the light that you've been redeemed and plucked as a brand from the burning and forgiven by the grace of God and the mercy of God. When you met Ivan, you knew he was in the room because you could hear laughter. You could sense the life of God in his life. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way it should be. Because wisdom centered on Jesus Christ on the cross is wisdom that brings a shine to a man's face and a joy to a woman's heart and gives us a whole new outlook on life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Thank you for reminding us that there are some things better than other things, that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting that the rebuke of a wise man is better than the laughter of fools. Thank you for teaching us to live with tensions and paradoxes in life, that life is a rather uneven path, but God is faithful. There are days of prosperity. There are days of adversity. There are questions that have no answers when the righteous die in their righteousness and the wicked live in their wickedness. Lord, help us to leave those unanswered questions with you. Help us, Lord, to embrace the mystery of your providence and the mystery of your dealings with us. And Lord, we, we pray that amidst the world menaced by sin, destroyed by disobedience, may we add some bright faces to the picture. May our lives reflect something of the radiance of redemption and the glory of knowing Jesus Christ. For we ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. Philip DeCourcy offers a prayer to keep our focus on Jesus. What a comfort to know we can lay all of our questions and concerns at the feet of our Savior. That's the final message in the Quest for the Best series here on Know the Truth. If you missed any of the messages in this study, visit our website to listen online or download the messages for listening on the go. It's available at ktt.org. Scripture reminds us that peace comes when we keep our eyes on Jesus, but the enemy is always trying to discourage us and defeat us with the distractions of this world. Don't be caught off guard. This month, we're making available a classic resource by Warren Wearsby titled The Strategy of Satan. This book has been called a manual of arms for the Christian soldier. It's a guidebook for dedicated Christians like you who want to resist the devil and win the daily spiritual battle. Request The Strategy of Satan when you give a generous gift of $20 or more to the nonprofit ministry of Know the Truth. 
donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. You can also send your gift by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Thanks for your generosity that fuels the ministry of Know the Truth. Your gifts make all the difference as together we share the truth that sets men and women free. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we've got a gift for you. It's a brand new resource that describes the keys to overcoming temptation. This bookmark outlines how to defeat temptation even before it attacks. It's a preview of True as Philip will be sharing in his upcoming Speak of the Devil series. Ask for the bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to come back tomorrow for a special Mother's Day message that also offers practical advice for men, husbands, and fathers. That's coming up Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. For townhall.com. Democrats have done Republicans a huge favor. After the release of the Mueller report, the Democrats had two options either inflate the narrative of obstruction of justice or attack the messenger who transmitted that report, a report that deeply disappointed them. That messenger, Attorney General William Barr. They chose the latter course and they blundered terribly in doing so. The whole premise of their criticism that Barr somehow mishandled the release of the Mueller report was just absurd. Hysteria is a bad look. Democrats wore it slightly better than their media boosters, but they still wore it poorly. In attacking Barr, Democrats have hurt themselves. Not only did they appear desperate after their bet-everything-on-Mueller wager went bust, but they proceeded to cement the alliance between President Trump and establishment Republicans who were squarely behind Barr in a way that had not occurred before. From Barr to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the electorate sees a face of resolve from an increasingly united GOP. I'm Hugh Hewitt. As parents and grandparents, we would 